Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Karen Hardy. Born and raised in Washington, D.C., Dr. Hardy was one of eight children. As a child, she spent a great deal of time creating, drawing, and using her imagination. She even spent a year in poetry school. She was a single mother who, contrary to negative societal predictors, watched her son grow to manhood, graduate from college, and start his own family. Karen has a strong belief in servant leadership and believes the lessons she learned gave her character. Dr. Hardy earned her Doctor of Education degree in Organizational Leadership and Human Resource Development from Nova Southeastern University. She is a graduate of Strayer University, where she earned her Master's in Business Administration. And she studied media arts and journalism while earning her bachelor's degree from Hampton University. Dr. Hardy is a 30-year civil servant and has more than a decade of hands-on experience in the risk management field and is a recipient of many awards. She has authored four books. Her book, Enterprise Risk Management, a Guide for Government Professionals, was on the Amazon Top 100 list for risk management, the Direct Marketing Most Promising New Textbook Award, and Textbook and Academic Authors Association. She was inducted into the National Academy of Best-Selling Authors. Karen received a Best-Selling Author Award for her book, Mastering the Art of Success, which she co-authored with Jack Canfield, the co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul. While in Los Angeles receiving her best-selling author award, she was invited to be a co-producer on a new documentary film focusing on veterans with PTSD and the canines that support them. Working with a five-time Emmy award-winning team and director, Dr. Hardy found herself behind the scenes of a new documentary, A New Leash on Life, The Canines for Warriors Story. The Washington, D.C. screening of A New Leash on Life, The Canines for Warriors Story, is scheduled for October 26th. The film will premiere nationally on Veterans Day. Karen, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I am fantastic now that I'm talking to you. So everything is, is looking good. Well, you know, I I often like to start to telling people how I met you. And, you know, it was funny that I met you as 
someone who was dating a very good friend of mine. And it was like, you know, and we all had that, that, that old friend like, okay, let's check this woman out, make sure she's cool. <laughs> you know, make sure she's cool, you know. Right, but right. We, we came to know each other. And I, I think I shared with you that one of the times that I really felt a strong connection with you was when you and that same friend got married and your son walked you down the aisle. And being yeah. a mother, a single parent of a son, I know that bond. And I've seen that bond between you. How life-changing was it for you to have that son and now being a grandmother? Right. I mean, it's been incredible. I mean, even that moment when you saw that, when he walked me down the aisle, that was, that was incredible because what, what you see is a, uh, an evolved relationship from you know, that's my son, that's my baby boy, to this young man who has his own mind and his own way of thinking and to transform from being a caretaker from, in one sense to now having a friendship type of relationship with my son, um, that is what was reflected. It was a combination of both of those two things. And it's funny because, I mean, that was a transforming moment, but um, as, a, as a man, he was going through his own transformations as we have it, you know, the typical things we go through in life in terms of growth. So that was incredible. And now I have this grandson, and actually he rem- it's, it's kind of weird because it looks like I'm looking at my son all over again. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like I have to step away. I'm thinking, is this 1988 <laughs> all over again? Mm-hmm. Or what year is it? But it, it really jolts you and takes you back, it, and it's so surreal. So it's, um, it's an incredible moment to have a grandchild, my, my first one, and then to see the, the son that I raised to be a parent. This, and I'm sure you can understand that. It's nothing like watching that transition and then being prideful about how you raise your child and how mm-hmm. um, great of a parent they are today. So that well, you was know, all fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you were one of eight, and, you know, yeah. and it seems like education was was important. And mm-hmm. because, I mean, you have gone out. Was that something in your family that, that education was so important that that pushed you to, to pursue your education and that then you tried to pass on to him? Yeah, it's interesting because my mom uh, was a short-order cook for the Marriott Corporation mm-hmm. for – over 30 years. And my father was actually a truck driver. Um, my mom dropped out of school in the eighth grade. She used to work on a farm. And she moved up here into the Washington, D.C. area. So she had limited education. So she had eight kids, put all of us through college, except one, my older brother, who decided to become an entrepreneur and start his own trucking company. But she emphasized education, mm. right? Um, and by doing that, uh, we were encouraged to do so. Now, we weren't a rich family either. We were, we were poor, basically. I mean, there was eight kids, two adults, the small square footage home we were raised in. But for her, education was, she definitely emphasized that. It is not like we had a lot of money to go to these big schools, but the, the idea of continuing that education, getting as much as you could, was definitely something that she um, hoped and wanted for all of her kids. You know, I often tell people, you know, that uh, 
it sounds like your mother gave you so much. I often tell people now, I recognize, you know, there were times that we didn't have a lot, but there were things that my parents instilled, particularly my mother, instilled upon me that even though by society we may have been seen as poor, you know, your mother may have worked at the Marriott, but what a great gift she gave you that in some way, I mean, there are people who might, as they say, were born with a silver spoon, did not get that gift like what you did. You know, my mother was a caring woman. You know, the best example that she gave us was, you know, uh, modeling certain behaviors. And it wasn't that, um, you know, she didn't, have, she didn't have a chance to finish school. It wasn't that behavior. It was the fact that she made sure we had everything that we needed and we didn't have a lot. But because of, with the minimum that she had, it felt like a lot. Mm. So the gift for her, the educational lesson from her to me was that you're able and you, you have the potential to create a lot with just a little. Don't let the quantity define the quality. And by looking at her raise eight kids as a cook, okay, mm-hmm. um, and then all of us having, uh, you know, being able to go to school um, and do quite well, you know, it really says um, – so much about her character and integrity um, because it's not about how much you have, but the, the integrity that you have around what you have. And, and that is something that was passed through our family and that I, I picked up on. Mm-hmm. So you've been in, you, are, you had the career of a, as a civil servant. 30 years, you know, many people would have said, you know, 30 years, I mean, my dad was a civil servant, 30 years, he was out, he was done. But along the way, you have authored books, um, you've got multiple degrees, and you've gone on to do speaking. Did you ever see that, you know, as, as you were that child who was creating and drawing and using your imagination, did you see yourself? One day, being Dr. Karen Hardy? No, actually, what I wanted to be Nikki Giovanni Part Two. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My mm-hmm. dream was to be the next Nikki Giovanni because, you know, because we didn't have a lot, we spent our summers at the, at the dining room table. That was our summer camp. We entertained each other, so we had to become creative. You know, we put a blank sheet of paper in front of us and then, we had to figure out what to do with it, right? So that's when I started to write words and make them rhyme and, and things like that as a kid. But I never saw the horizon to be a public servant. I, I actually shied away, away from government. Um, but my ideal goal in college and growing up was to be a prolific writer. Um, so I got into, you know, create a writing club at, at, in high school, I was voted most creative as a you know, senior superlative, and I spent the entire year writing poetry in high school uh, where we learned the rhythm of words and things like that. And all of those things, looking back, played a key role in who I am today. And, um, and what you see now is the result of all those seeds that were, that were planted before. So, yeah, the only thing I was thinking about as a kid was I'm going to be Nikki Giovanni. So... <laughs> Uh, but, you know, as life has it, you know how that works. Things turn here, turn there, and then all of a sudden, you know, all these years later, I'm a 
I have uh, three decades of public service um, experience in writing books, so life has come full circle in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that one of your one of the books attributed to Karen Hardy is Destiny, Dreams, and Decisions. Ah, uh, yeah. Empowering <laughs> women for success. Look at that. Is this yeah. just were you influenced by the what you watched and learned from your mother? And what you've seen around other women and doing it in writing this? It's funny. The source the, the source of that book. And here's the thing, every book I've written, there is a story behind it. It's just not a book to be done. Um, but for that particular book, it was a result of pain. Um, I had just gone through a divorce, and, you know, I've been, I, the world and the future for me didn't look so bright. <laughs> but, you know, you know, when you're younger, you, you think that everything is fatal. But um, that particular book was... Um, with a hard copy of what I was already doing in a church setting. I was doing these workshops about Destiny June's decisions because I had gone through this divorce and I ended up being a single parent and I didn't know what to do. And I heard a small whisper in my spirit with the three words, you have a destiny, you have a dream. And then the last word, decision, came out of that. And mm-hmm. I, I think it was a result of deep prayer and meditation that they came about. So what I, what I did, I just compiled all of my thoughts from these workshops I were already doing because someone said, you know, Karen, this is a good workshop. You should write a book. So I went ahead and did that, and I really wanted that to be a coffee table type book, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And um, so, but that caught on, and, and I'm, it's not a long book, actually. It's about 30 pages, but I've gotten so much good feedback about how it gets to the point and it helps people see things they never never thought about. Now, you know, but a lot of, it, of what you've written, some of it, it's not, they're not like definitely self-help books, but you do a lot of your writing is about, it's sort of like self-help or helping someone become better, like building yeah. self-leadership, mastering the art of success. Right. You know, you feel that, I mean, you, you talk about how you heard that voice. You're also a teacher. I mean, it's like that, that's what's coming through. It's like not only did you go through this, these things in life that gave you character, but it seems like you, were, you felt that calling that you were supposed to take some of these lessons and put them in a form where other people were doing it too, learned from them. Oh, absolutely. I always, I always felt that I was called to speak about something. And with mm-hmm. that comes the writing as well. It's like automatic. But I always felt that I had a message in my spirit to share with people, uh, whatever that message is at the, turn, at the time. So I, I guess what I've been doing is just crafting in these different books. And it's incredible that you picked up uh, a resonating theme throughout uh, through those four books in terms of self-help, masking on success. I didn't even really even thought about that. Because a lot of times you're not looking, you're so close to it, you don't see it. But, um, you know, I can appreciate the fact that you're able to pick up the fact that it, it does talk about being the best you, um, mm-hmm. overcoming adversity, um, you know, positive thinking, um, you know, bet on yourself. You're your best investment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, don't let setbacks distract you. You know, things like that. Um, yeah, I would say that what those books are capturing is an essence of in reflecting to people that, hey, if I can do it, 
given that I come from a poor family with eight siblings and a mother and father with limited education, um, and I was a statistic too. I was not supposed to make mm-hmm. it, but somehow ended up, you know, working at the executive office of the president, you know, going to an HBCU. You know, don't listen to stigmas and labels, but believe in yourself and listen to that small voice that may be telling you to do great things in your life. And, you know, I'm hoping that that is, that is what comes through. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, it's just like so powerful to me, like that, that is the message. And that, you know, I often say like, there are so many levels that you have to out yourself, you know, but here yeah, is the part yeah. like, like you're saying, it's like, yet again, what you're outing yourself is saying like, don't say that you can't. This is me. You know, everybody would have said that I can't. But look at me now. I'm Dr. Karen Hardy. Hi there. <laughs> Hi, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you like me now, right? Uh, exactly. All that, all that, but trust me, I have been the underdog mm-hmm. for my entire life. I've always been the underdog. You're coming from a family of eight. And at eight, you learn early how to compete, how to survive, how to find your own space, how to separate your own voice in a crowd of seven other people, right? Because, you know, the more siblings you have, you know, my, my mom used to call me my sister's name because we all sounded like it, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. you, you had to establish your own identi- identity early on. So how am I different? And one of the things I caught on to was that my difference was my difference, my awkwardness. You know, um, mm-hmm. I've always felt like I didn't really fit in all the time. Because either I was in grade school and I was considered too smart than, than my other classmates or, you know, I didn't look a certain way or so forth and so on. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting that those very things, those awkward, weird things about me have really helped catapult me and given me the confidence that, you know, to excel. And things, and I guess that's my way of saying to the world, "Ha, huh, you know, see, mm-hmm. you thought I was down, you thought you'd count me out, but no, I'm still here, and I'm making a difference." Where were you in the order? Were you one of the older ones or one of the younger ones? I was not okay. the older. Mm-hmm. I was not the youngest, and I was in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. I tell people I'm the bottom three. I'm in the mm-hmm. bottom three. But I'm the I'm on the top of the bottom three. All right, you know. okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on the top mm-hmm. of the bottom three. Yeah. Now that's interesting. You know, and it's like how you did all these things, and a lot of it is talking about you know like self help. But then, like you said, you were in the civil service. You were civil. You worked in the risk management field, and it mm-hmm. sounds like you had all these books were that were sort of like talking about the personal talking about someone being in leadership and doing that. And then you took that formula and applied it to what you did. When your Amazon Top 100 list book, Enterprise Risk Management, A yeah. Guide for Government Professionals. Uh-huh. How yeah. easy or difficult was it to sort of take this ideal, this formula that you knew about talking about how people could better themselves and apply it to your field, risk management? Well, I tell you, it isn't easy to do. Probably risk management is not the most sexy topic out there, right? I know. 
Come on. Let's be for real. You're not going to curl up with a risk management book. Okay. I mean, I'm a Yeah, you're right. You know, like the first one, the first three, I could say, okay, I could order that, but I'm going to like this one? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you get a headache. You just get a headache looking at the title. <laughs> for the most part. I, but I get a kick out of the fact that when people look at that, they don't think much. They're thinking risk management. Let me turn the other way. Let me turn the other direction. But what I try to do is bring personality to the subject matter, no matter how technical it is. Um, the same style of writing I do in the other three books, it, it, it kind of like appears in the risk management book. It flows as part of a conversation like we're having now. I could talk to you about risk management, and I think you would like it, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, just by personalizing the subject to the point where it relates to you, not something that's so esoteric and technical that you have no idea what I'm talking about, you know, that type of thing. I mean, we could talk about your favorite food. What, what, what is your favorite food, Michelle? What's your favorite restaurant? I'm asking you a question, me. actually. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to one tonight, uh, Big Fish One, here in um, Sarnia. It's one of my favorite restaurants. It sounds like a fabulous place. It sounds like it's a, a cuisine that you actually enjoy um, uh, you know, patronizing once in a while. But every organization and restaurant has a manager there mm-hmm. managing risk to ensure mm-hmm. that that plate, that dish that you get is the best that you ever had. And there's a lot of behind the scenes that take place to make sure that dish is what it is. And risk management plays a part like that in everyday life. And in that book, I try to, you know, make that connection for people. You know, it's interesting because I'll tell you, the reason that I like it really is the staff and the people. And you know, like you just said, that they put some thought into making sure that your experience is that is is a great experience, and so I, you know, like you said, in just that short example, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly, and that's what risk meant. and that's what I try to do with the book. It's not something that you can even you can't understand because that's not your field, but because mm-hmm. I try to show that there is a connection between how I write and what you do in your life. You may not think of it as risk management, but it is. It does exist within your life. And what that does is it helps to educate other people. It um, opens the doors to folks who may not have considered an, a, an education or a career in risk management before, but they may want to consider that because it is so broad and it applies to everything. So this, this, this Amazon Top 100, what yeah. was that like? I mean, when you saw that, I mean, you know, you wrote the book, and like you said, it's not you know, something that if you're flipping through, oh, let me buy this, you know, they, <laughs> right. you know you're not going to curl up right. with it in front of the fireplace. But then, <laughs> right. you get to, then you get this word back like, hey, your book, how, how did that feel? Crazy. I fainted. Mm-hmm. I think I fainted but didn't know it because when it, <laughs> because when it appeared on Amazon and because I was checking. I'm one of those people. I, I have no shame. I was checking the list to see where that book was landing. Because for that specific niche writing for that subject, there's some great writers already in this particular field. But when mine popped up, I think it was number six. It reached number mm. six on top 100 in the risk management category. As an African-American woman, being able to reach that pinnacle or that milestone is incredible. And, you know, I didn't want that to be a fleeting moment, not just for me, but to share and let people know that, hey, 
Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of opportunity out there in places where we wouldn't usually show up. We're starting to show up, and one of those areas is risk management, profession, and field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you know, you also uh, wrote the book with um, Jack Canfield. But you know, yeah. did all right? You had. Did you ever feel like that that little poet? that creative person back there in high school. And you went, you know, it was always kind of there, but you went the other way and you were doing all these other things. Do you feel some validation or like, like, you know, like she's still alive and well? I mean, she might not be, you know, has, may not have published a big book of poetry, but that creative person, that, that, that creative high school Karen is still yeah. alive and well and flourishing. Oh God. Yeah. It was, it was um, at this point in time in my life, it's, it's, that's why I mentioned earlier that it was like a full circle for me because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, life happens. And mm-hmm. you, have to, you have the obligations, you have responsibilities, you have to make decisions that are best at that time. Um, so um, being able to pursue just writing to be the next Nikki G, um, that had to be sidelined for, you know, I, I'm a single parent, I need a find mm-hmm. a job that's mm-hmm. stability to support my son, right? So mm-hmm. that pretty much uh, uh, explains how I got into the, the government in terms of public service because of stability, raising a child, so forth and so on. So what Jack Canfield opportunity came about, that came about not be- because I hit the Amazon 100, because then people start to notice stuff. It's mm-hmm. like your head, your head is peaking up. So... That was a notice, notice point for me. So when I was um, offered, extended an opportunity to co-author that book with him, yeah, I did feel even more validated, Michelle, about I've been on the right track all along. Because it's not a straight line from, uh, you know, from the beginning to destiny. It's not a straight line. Uh, and a lot of times we think if it's not a straight line, we must be failing, we must be falling short, we must be off track. But, you know, stories have different chapters, and every chapter looks different, but it's all part of one big story, one big book. So um, the Jack Canfield, yeah, absolutely validation, and it's like I never left the road in the first place. So it's That's awesome right. Yeah. Okay, well, Karen, we're going to take our first break here, and um, when we get back, we're going to talk about that road and then sort of get into another chapter. Uh, so we'll be right back. If you're just joining me, this is Collections by Michelle Brown, and our guest today is Dr. Karen Hardy. We'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. And we're 
back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. My guest today is Dr. Karen Hardy. You know, Karen, I mean, we are sisters from another mother because I know um, I have had people, you know, going through that. And, you know, you find a thing like my, my niche had been accounting. And I find people now who later on say, but you've written poetry, you know, you've written a children's book, you've done all this. But you always did that. We didn't know that. And I was like, well, you know what? I had a child. I had to raise and I had to go and, you know, I had to have that paycheck, you know. I had to take care of my son. But, you know, like you said, it's like it's something that that you you don't forget. And then someone said, like, you know, well, I had someone like, like, you have your right brain and your left brain. How could you, you function from this way all these years and now you're doing that? But like you said, not only was it out of necessity for doing it, but it's like your brain didn't atrophy. You know, right. when you go, right. when you go back and you, and you find some of those people who've known you and, and I'd say, you know, family members, all that, who've known you all along, are they surprised that you're in this chapter of your life, that you're doing, you know, that this part has just like blossomed your books, um, your speaking, all of this. Are they surprised? Well, let me tell you, it's, it's no secret that I'm having a good time. <laughs> that's, for, mm-hmm. that's for sure. But um, they're not really surprised. They are a little shocked of some of the, the level at which I have been able to achieve. And that's not, uh, they weren't throwing any shade at me, as they say. It's nothing like that. It's just that they, they know, know me all my life, right? I've always been a little quirky, right? Mm-hmm. But this is more of an intelligent quirkiness that's happening with me now to show generation behind me, my nieces, my great nieces, my grandsons, that, you know, anything is absolutely possible, and that's not a cliche. And there is no rule that says you have to do one thing, or you can't change your mind, <laughs> or you mm-hmm. can't decide, I'm going to go a different direction. There are no rules for that. Go with instinct in terms of what makes you happy at any point in time in your life? What gift is appropriate? What gift is trying to come out at any uh, uh, point in time in life? And then let it, let it live, let it out, let it be free. So um, growing up, I was always uh, an oddball, as I said before. So I think the great story here is that, you know, it's like, uh, like I said before, um, the, the person that's at the disadvantage the ones that the underdog excels later when, you know, that was not probable or expectation before, and, but it happened. But um, it's also a testament, Michelle, of the type of seeds I've been laying in the ground for years, and now you're starting to see all those seeds bloom. And it's such a beautiful bouquet of all these things that people are seeing, and they, and they think that, hey, why are you doing so many things, or how do you do that? Well, I, I actually planted a seed 20 years ago, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and I've been, I've been watering it over the years with different things, and now it's just blooming to a point where it looked like I just did this, and actually I've been doing this for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Now, in Mastering the Art of Success, yes. how did that work? You co-offered it with Chet Canfield. I mean, he has pretty much a formula with the chicken soup books. But yeah. it sounds like, like you have been talking about mastering the art of success through all of your books and in, and in your life. How did that collaboration work? Well, as I said before, um, 
when people notice that you hit, you know, Amazon best-selling list, and you're very good at the top of your professional field, people do take notice. Um, and that's what happened with me. Uh, one of his other parts approached me uh, about the book they were doing, and we decided to, to co-author that book. Um, and, you know, you know, Chicken Soup for the Soul is like everybody knows that book, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, everybody knows that book and how positive that book has been over the years. So it was the right time, uh, and the plan is just lined up for me for this to happen, a uh, combination of that exposure. And then can you imagine, Michelle, just being able to capture everything that I always wanted to say in, in a short chapter but get to the essence of, you know, what it takes to be successful, to master the art of success. And success isn't something that should be predefined. Success is, um, you know, taking the ability to take any experience that you have, make it your own, and contribute back, you know, to the world in a special way. So, um, yeah, Jack Chample is a great guy, and uh, just the opportunity is just one of many to come. Mm-hmm. Now, and then, okay, and who didn't see the pictures? There you are in L.A. on the red oh, carpet yeah, with your wife, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, really living, the, living your Can't best life. I mean, in I fact, you know what, and I thought of, and, you know, I can recall a long time ago, and I forget what Donna and I were doing, and she talked about the song, Living My Life Like It's Golden, you know, oh, Living My Life, yeah. and, and when I saw that picture of the two of you, and I looked at you, and you were just smiling, and you were, you were living your life like it's golden, what was that moment like, and to bring all of your identities to the red carpet? It's incredible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was, it was everything. It's like everything was in one spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just happened. Everything who I am, the essence of who I am, the essence of what I've done, the love of my life there, um, it was like a dream come true. You know, you have these fantasies in your head about what you, <laughs> what you want to see in your life happen, and then when it actually happens, you can't believe it's you. You think this is happening to somebody else, you know, but it was actually happening to me. And all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was savor each second. I did not want to miss any uh, emotion that I was expressing at that particular, uh, on that red copy. Every minute, every second, I cherished that moment. And that's what you see beaming through me <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. for the most part at that, uh, at that event. Do you see opportunities in the future? I mean, and I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a memoir or just you speaking of sharing that. I mean, for those who are coming up or people who are struggling that to talk about that moment and just by you being as, as open and as out as you are inspiring others to go for that red carpet moment. Oh, I hope so, especially speaking. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping this, Michelle, I'm hoping this, uh, this time with you is just the beginning of many to come that I get to speak and share my story with other, you know, podcasters and communicators out there. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, the beauty of what you do and others do, being able to bring stories that other people otherwise wouldn't even know about. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't know that Karen Hardy is, you know, African-American female who wrote risk management, you know. Mm-hmm. They, w- they wouldn't know that. So I appreciate the opportunity. And the answer is absolutely yes. I hope that does happen. I hope it happens on a, a larger stage. I'm, I'm working towards that because now I feel it's the right time to be out front to say these things because I want people to know that you don't have to have everything right. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have a trillion degrees or acronyms. Like, but one of the things that helped me throughout my life has been instinct, instinct, mm-hmm. listening to that small voice, telling me to go another direction, uh, making decisions that aren't popular, not following the crowd, and always betting on myself. Those are the mm-hmm. things, the principles I really, uh, you know, follow and live by in my mm-hmm. life. So I, th- um, I believe that this is just the beginning of a new way of communicating everything that you've seen in, in my writing and, uh, and uh, other projects that I work with. Now, I'll tell you, no matter what I do, you know, no matter what accolade I get, the one that matters is the one from my son. I mean, I mean, at one point in time, I know that he had told me, he said, Mom, what I learned from you is, like, there's always challenges in the life, but we find a way to get around them. Mm-hmm. And when you're on that, that red carpet, or where, and when you, when you hit that Amazon Top 100, what has your son said to you it's that has really icing on the cake? Let me tell you something. My son, I've always kept my son close. When, he, mm-hmm. when I was doing my doctorate, he edited my papers, mm-hmm. and he was mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. I always kept him a part of what I was doing, okay? I kept him close. So when I was, would do these things, it's not a shock to him anymore. It's like, an ex, it's like that's what my mom does, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, type mm-hmm. of thing. That's, what my, that's who my mom is. My mm-hmm. son is, is like a best friend for me. I cherish my son and my relationship with him because, one, I think he's a cool guy, and he's a great guy. But not only that, our relationship is such that, you know, I'm, I've always been there in his corner and always will be. But the same thing is that he's always been in my corner, and I know he always will be, right? So it's an incredible, it's an incredible feeling to be in a red cop and, and to see that. Um, and then... On several occasions, he has expressed what that what um, I have meant to him, and it's the lessons I uh, taught him over the years. Uh, you know, absent a father, um, and he 100% believes that he has been successful in his life because of that. Mm-hmm. And no, no, no masters, no doctorate, no red carpet trophy can trump what my son says in terms of making a difference in his life. Mm-hmm. So did you, have you taken the awards and, and do you let the grandchild, your grandson play with them? <laughs> oh, you don't know. I have him taking pictures. I mean, I have him, he has, it's a, I've taken a picture of him with the Jack Canfield book. I called my grandson, I told my, called my grandson, he's my life coach, you know, mm-hmm. because he's so innocent and beautiful. His spirit is new. Um, so I have no problem with that. And I can't wait to, as he gets stuck and get old, there's so many things I want to show and, and share with him and wisdom and things like that. So, you know, it seems like with you, it's like the more you do, the more the doors open. And it's like, it's like 
you're in this vortex and all these things and now it's just sort of like really coming through and it's like each one is coming up and you reach up and grab it and you reach up and grab it. So while you're in LA receiving your award, you're getting invited to co-produce a documentary film. Yeah. Had you thought of being involved in filmmaking at all? No. <laughs> no, I had not. That didn't cross my mind. <laughs> it's, but it's funny, though, because I, I studied uh, media arts in, in undergraduate at Hampton. Mm-hmm. My, that, that was my degree, TV production and journalism. But I never delved into it over the years. So when that dropped in my lap, um, I just chuckled. I really just I'm like life is really funny, right? Uh, you think these things are, you know, you know passive, and it just comes through as a fleeting moment, and then it circles right back to you. Um, and you know, I'm thinking at this when you get to a certain age, those things are rested and, and done with, but not necessarily so. Um, you know, God keeps His promises. It doesn't matter how long it is; <laughs> He keeps His promises. So um, when this came about, I, I was really shocked, but it's, it's definitely uh, a fruit from all of my hard work. And it's like I'm just picking from the tree, <laughs> you know, like that's a good project. I, I want to get involved in that. So, I mean, you know, they came and they asked you, I mean, did you, did you have a moment of hesitation? Did you say, let me look at this project, let me think about it, or did you go like, okay, this came to me. It must be something that I'm supposed to be involved in. You know, they, were, they actually offered me several projects. There's several, you know, films mm-hmm. on the on, on the uh, on the offering. I chose this one because it's it's called Admission for Good Films, mm-hmm. and because I come from a public service servant leadership background, I understand the importance of mission and having a mission for good. And the organization that the focal point of the film and has been doing great work with veterans for years, and they excel so far that it's definitely a story that had to, to be told. So my, from my perspective, I wanted to be a part of a story about giving to other people. Um, that's one way to grow as a leader, and it's also a way to share with other people humanity that's out here. Uh, I don't think we can have too much humanity. So, um, yeah, so when that came about, that's how I went about that and saying, yes, I I definitely want to be a part of that. Now, I know that many people, you know, you see all of these these huge, you know, you've got your producers, you've got your directors, you've got your stars. Um, What exactly does being a co-producer on a documentary involve? Well, it involves, I mean, you're pretty much putting your voice to, uh, a project that you believe in, and your job is actually to go out and share with the world that this film is is produced, it's done, uh, it's educational, it's, it um, increases awareness about a, a topic, and you should come see it. Uh, the and it never really stops. You know, um, I was there on the set when they were doing the, the shots and producing and everything like that, which was incredible. That blew up as a memory for me. But having you know the close up conversation with the veterans that deal with PTSD and the canines and everything, um, that made it, uh, put it in 3D for me, you know, mm-hmm. and having that real interaction and relationship with these cast members who are actual veterans that served in Afghanistan and things like that. 
So as producer, you're not only there to support the entire production team on set, but afterwards, like putting together the screenings and letting people know more about the subject matter, it, it never really stops. And I, I like that, that role because um, you can, you know, put your own special touches on it, like with the screening, or reach out to your own personal network. And it's a, I think it's a good way to be introduced to whole, the whole production part of doing a documentary. Had you ever been, had, um, how in-depth had been your interactions with veterans in general or with veterans' issues? Limited. It was mm. like, prior to the documentary, it was limited. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I didn't have any, a lot of interaction. My, my father was a veteran. But other than that, I, I have friends who are veterans. I know friends who had, had mentioned PTSD, but no close relationships. So that was not a key driver. Um, what it did, though, and, and I would inspire people to do this, sometimes as leaders you need to step outside the box in order to grow, do something mm-hmm. that you, you usually wouldn't do. And uh, as a result of that, it has really opened my eyes in terms of what that uh, this particular issue is and bring, brought to life real people who deal with this every day and how far they've come in their life as a result of the Canine for Warriors organization that they work with. Did you, you know, because I know that you wear many hats, after seeing this and recognizing it, um, did you also think about that ever layer as to veterans who also might be suffering from PTSD, but also veterans who are a member of the LGBTQ community who often have their own additional set of issues and are doing that. So did, did it make you think, think beyond, like, okay, well, this is like veterans, but what about others, members of the LGBTQ community who might have their own initial sets and what's happening with them? Well, you know, because I've never had interaction with this subject matter before, uh-huh. in, in general, the PTSD and veterans subject matter is so overwhelming uh-huh. that on its own, uh-huh. <laughs> just in general. But I know that there's other aspects and other sectors and communities dealing with that. And I think long range, that will be something to think about. But for uh-huh. the initial film, I, I, I've had a learning curve myself. Mm-hmm. And it's been, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's been eye-opening for me, and it'll be interesting to see where this goes after, you know, once it's done. Well, you know, I mean, I'm always, one of the beauties of this is, like, I've, I've met so many people, and I'm thinking of a couple of people, one who I want to say she is in, I want to say Philadelphia area, who's working um, with LGBT veterans, and another one who's working here. And, like, they talk about uh, uh, what the one who's working here with one organization Part of it has to, well, they do everyone with PTSD, but they've identified some things. So sooner or later, I'll get you that contact information because I could see screenings going in those ways. It might be a nice link to sort of get conversations going. So I'm going to take our second break, and then I want to talk a little bit more about the film and talk about when it's coming out because I know that people are going to want to see it. So we'll be right back.
Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Well, I want to welcome you back to Collections by Michelle Brown. If you're just joining us, my uh, guest today is Dr. Karen Hardy. And, I mean, Karen has authored several books, best-selling books, received awards. Um, she can enlighten you about risk management. But what we're talking about right now is a new documentary that she's one of the co-producers of, A New Leash on Life, The Canines for Warriors Story. You know, um, Everyone knows about service animals. Are these canines, are they just service animals, or are these canines also people who have been in, I mean, animals that have been in combat situations? Well, so canines for warriors, they've been around for some time, but uh, when they bring in the canines, um, the canines are actually rescue dogs. Mm. They, re- they actually rescue the dogs themselves and give them a new life. So what's happening is that not only do you rescue the canines, but you pair them with the veterans. It's like, and that's what the theme of the movie is, a new leash on the life. Mm-hmm. Because the canines are rescued, they are trained to be service animals, they get a new beginning. And then the veterans are paired up through training, they also get a new beginning. And that's really the beauty of the story itself. And uh, this particular organization, Canines for Warriors, does an excellent job of training those rescue animals. I mean, that, that's interesting because, you know what, I was thinking particularly as, as somebody that would appeal to veterans, but also if you're someone who is, is really um, concerned about animals and animal rescue, I mean, that, that part, what a perfect pairing, rescuing yeah. an animal with someone. And we all know, I mean, often you see people, their interactions with animals, how powerful that can be. I and know, I it's can, pretty, yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's a pretty powerful optic in, in mm-hmm. part of the film to see those two stories merge into one. Uh, mm-hmm. And it does a really great job of conveying what that message is, uh, which is why I was drawn to, you know, when we went to the, it was the, the, the production team um, premiere in New York, uh, in Manhattan a few months ago, there wasn't a dry eye in the audience, mm-hmm. and, you know. And these are people who may not be, you know, everyone doesn't, you know, uh, pet people. But does it make a difference because the stories are so impactful because it just doesn't talk about PTSD, but talks about what they've done as a result of being matched up with the canine and their lives have changed. A lot of these veterans, before they couldn't, you know, they wouldn't go outside, they wouldn't go to school. Now they're in, enrolled in their graduate, I mean, in their uh, university uh, undergraduate programs, getting a degree, they, they're being more vocal, they're being more, you know, uh, social. Uh, so that's a result of the, the canines uh, program. And to actually see the evidence result of the effectiveness of the training of the canines and the pairing up, I think that's the, that's the super part about the movie. 
So either you're a pet person or you believe in the veterans that serve the country or you may be a human resource officer or chief capital officer hiring a veteran, maybe you need to understand their position when it comes to PTSD and how they deal with that. It's such a broad scope of people that were benefit from the story that I would really encourage uh, folks to come out and check it out. Now, you said that this program has been going on for a while. How did it get started? I mean, how, I mean, it, it makes sense. We know about service animals, but how did this, this pairing, who had the idea of this pairing to make this happen, and is it something that's happening across the country, or is it specific to one location? Uh, it is across the country, and they have certain locations, not everywhere, but in certain locations, but They've been in, in, in uh, service for about six or seven years. It was found by Sherry Duvall. Uh, her son came back from Afghanistan, and she had some concerns about him and dealing with PTSD. And she saw, I think, a story about another uh, service animal program that was helping veterans, and she felt she was losing her son. She felt mm. that she was going to lose him. So she was at her wit's end and, and came up with this last final, you know, straw to help stay for a child. Um, so she decided to, you know, get a canine, and from there she saw the difference in, the, in her son's life. She came back alive and a spirit back. So she felt that, hey, if I can do this for my son, maybe I can do this for other people's sons um, or daughters um, that actually have to deal with this. And so they did what they had to do, and they started the canine warriors organization. Mm-hmm. So... What are, I mean, besides informing and educating people about this program, what are the outcomes that you're hoping to come from this documentary? Well, one outcome is greater education. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to touch people who otherwise would not think about this. Not so Mm -hmm. much veterans. The veterans know. Uh, Veterans with PTSD, they are aware. What about the the hairstylists, the barbers, the bankers? the grocers, mm-hmm. the, you know, all these other people. You have veterans in your midst that may be uh, dealing with PTSD, and I think it's a, it's a social issue that anyone can evolve and learn about. I don't think there are any limitations when it comes to understanding um, this particular subject matter. Um, so uh, that, is, that is what I'm expecting in terms of outcome. I want different people talking about it than the ones, the usual suspects for the most mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think that often, you know, as I had talked to someone who was talking about the homeless community, and often people will see someone, and there are many veterans who are homeless and who perhaps aren't dealing with their PTSD, and what people see them as a menace, to see them as that person, and to know that there's hope for them, that there's an answer for them. That could be something little. I mean, I know that there was a, a homeless center that, that was in the news at one point in time where the guy had the dog, and he just didn't want to leave his dog. And people right. were thinking, oh, it's just him and dog. But you know what? That informally is a lot of what you're talking about. This dog was helping this man deal with yeah. something that's difficult to deal with. I mean, I think yeah. that, that's – so you said you had Where's a premium – yeah, it's a misconception, Michelle. I'm sorry. It's a misconception. Um, uh, the, the film really is told in a way that I don't think it puts it into context, just like you did. 
in terms of explaining, right? Uh, I think this film does a great job of explaining the context of the veterans and the PTSD so that people understand this is an individual with a life just like you trying to get mm-hmm. things done. Uh, so what does that mean? So they'll come away with a better understanding of that. So you had the premiere in New York. Yeah. And what was and you said the response was it wasn't a dry eye. <laughs> That's great. And you'll have your Washington DC screening is planning in October 26th. And that's coming home. You're bringing your work. You're coming back. Here's another way that people around D.C. who know know Karen Hardy is now going to see co-producer Karen Hardy and this film. How does that feel to, to having it come home? I know, right? Uh, you know, I'm a proud Washingtonian, a native Washingtonian. I talk about it all the time. So, um, yeah, it's going to be Friday, October 26th from 11 to 2 p.m., being held in Ronald Reagan Building within the Wilson, Woodrow Wilson Center, which is a part of the Reagan Building. They have an auditorium there. So, yeah, I'm hoping that everyone within the D.C. area will come out. It's, uh, there's no charge. They will have to go online for RSVP. But um, the whole point, again, is to uh, extend education and awareness and on the subject matter. So I feel very proud to be, you know, the co-producer and being able, having the power and influence to actually bring it to the nation's capital um, that day. So I'm hoping everyone who is available will stop by and, and share in this moment. And how do they RSVP for this October 26th date? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's on the 26th date. Uh, it has to be an RSVP for sure. But if they want more information, uh, for the link to RSVP, they can send an email to uh, info at 62mediaworks.com. Okay. And then, okay, nationally, it will premiere on Veterans Day. Yes, it will premiere nationally on Veterans Day. There will be more information on that pretty soon about how people can tap into that as well. But it's, it's going to be, I'm telling you, the, the trailer to the movie is so moving. I've had people look at the trailer and mm-hmm. cry. So the movie yeah. itself, is, um, it is emotional. There's a, you know, there could be a, there's a scene in there from uh, 9-11. But it's, the point of the, 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 the film is to show impact, reality, in terms of within context about veterans and, and PTSD. But it's a, it's a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. And are you hoping to show it like in, in areas that, that you hear a lot about veterans' issues? We know there's a lot of veterans, you know, in part because of the, of the weather in Hawaii, in California, and other areas where there are large veterans' populations. Are you looking at a tar- targeting some of those areas as far as, you know, bringing it there? Uh, it's pretty much wide open right now. If someone is mm-hmm. interested in showing it to a large audience, all they have to do is just drop me a note to the email address I gave you, and I'm willing mm-hmm. to, to talk to them about making that happen. I am looking forward to, to seeing it. I mean, I looked at the trailer, and I'm going like, wow. And, and I sent it to some people I know who, are, who, who rescue dogs and, you know, and are, are wondering, like, they, I mean, they just are rescuing. What are we going to do with these dogs? And so like, here's something you might think about. Maybe you should hook up with this organization or or hook up with a veterans group, maybe there's something, you know, look, go see this film, and maybe this is something that you can do. So what's next in Karen, Dr. Karen Hardy's life besides her great 
career as a saxophone player? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in that area. I am not a great saxophone player. I appreciate that. Uh, I fool around a lot with that. Uh, it's, it's a way to relax. I love music. Mm-hmm. Music is a universal language. I really enjoy doing that on the side where there's no expectation <laughs> for the most part. Um, it's just for entertainment and for social pleasure for the most part. So uh, I think I'm just going to keep lay low on that one. Well, see, because I have at this point in time actually tried singing, and I could see I, I was prepared for us to, to take it oh, on really? the road. See, <laughs> okay. To take it on the road. <laughs> We're going to have to talk offline about that one, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> we, we definitely will. So um, your books are all out there. I know they're all available on Amazon. Um, right. If someone wants right. to reach you as far as speaking about your books, um, about your story, I mean, which I mean really is a story that I think that everyone can benefit from hearing from. It's very inspirational. And it also says, hey, it ain't a walk in the park, but if you keep taking one step after another, you're going to get there. Absolutely. So how, I know you have a web page. Could you share that with us? Sure. It's uh, Dr. Karen uh, uh, Speaks, drkarenspeaks.com. You can just get to me that way for any type of speaking or just drop an email note there. Check it out. We really appreciate it. Well, Karen, I appreciate all that you do. Like I said, you know, we have that that mother that mother bond. Every time I look at a picture of you and your son, you know, it really makes me want to go hug mine again. So I want to oh, thank yeah. you. You know, I want to thank you for being with me today and for all that you do. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Okay, Karen. Well, I'll give my regards to Donna Payne. I sure <laughs> and will. And um, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area on October 26th, please try to, pre- to see that special screening of A New Leash on Life, the Canines for Warriors story. And you know what? Check out Dr. Karen Speaks, right? Dr. Karen Speaks. Dot, dot com. Dot, dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, internet. Read some of these books, you know, and, and get in touch with this. With, a proud member of our community who's out there living her life like it's golden. Karen, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. I want to thank today's guest, Dr. Karen Hardy. She's the author of four books, Destiny, Dreams, and Decisions, Empowering Women for Success, Building Self-Leaders, a model self-leadership training program for public sector employees. Enterprise Risk Management, a guide for government professionals. And Mastering the Art of Success, co-authored with Jack Canfield, the co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Dr. Hardy is co-producer of the documentary, A New Leash on Life. The Canines for Warriors story. Canines for Warriors is dedicated to providing service canines to our veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disability, traumatic brain injury, and or military sexual trauma as a result of military service post-911. 
the Washington, D.C. screening of A New Leash on Life, the Canines for Warriors story, is scheduled for October 26th. This screening is free, but you do need to RSVP in order to attend. The film will premiere nationally on Veterans Day. You can listen to this or past episodes of Collections by Michelle Brown on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.